brothers and sisters in Christ, may I invite you to bow down your heads in prayer. May we, as we celebrate Christ the King, be attentive to your words as we long to follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Servant King. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may sit down. Dear friends from St. George's Church, what a lovely occasion to be together, to celebrate Christ our King. May I thank you all, especially to you, Father, and to all here at St. George's for the warm welcome bestowed upon us since our arrival last Tuesday. We have had a wonderful time and been able to see the good work that here you're accomplishing in the name of Christ. Rest assured of our prayers, and in the same breath, may I bring you the greetings of His Grace, the Archbishop of Canterbury, of the Chair of the Anglican Centre in Rome, and all of us from the Eternal City. Friends, celebrating Christ the King this morning reminds us of God's redeeming love, and this is indeed good news. As we all are aware, the life of Jesus ended on the cross, and we also know that our own lives and that of the world will come to an end. But it is also important to note, as the gospel read to us today shows, that at the end of our earthly existence offers us an extraordinary and wonderful experience. Friends, we can have a taste of this unique experience as from now, in our own lifetime, because in our longing for God as revealing Jesus, we are accompanied by Christ himself. And at our death, as he had promised to the penitent thief that he will be with him in paradise, we also will be welcomed by him with love. It will be so, for our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to journey with us and with the whole of humanity, so that we may begin to leave us from now what would be a life of fulfillment. Welcome by a loving Father. Brothers and sisters, the kingship of Christ brings about a reign of love, a reign which creates, a reign which liberates, a reign which saves. This message was already conveyed to us, to God's people, by the prophets. In the Old Testament reading, set for Christ the King. We can read the prophet Jeremiah tells us about the Messiah King who will fulfill the promise implied in the name of King Zedekiah. May I quote? The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, 
and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. The thrust of this passage from the prophecy of Jeremiah brings about a glorious tradition of faith in spite of a prevailing spirit of uncertainty and hopelessness. At that time, the reign of Zedekiah brought, al brought along a lot of unhappiness as many citizens of Judah went on exile. But Jeremiah swam against the current as he was fully imbued with hope. In verse 3, he says, I will gather the remnant of my flock and will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. The reasoning expressed in the prophecy of Jeremiah became the primary element of the Hebrew faith and was called the Messianic hope. The term Messiah, as we've just heard from the gospel, is nevertheless not used by Jeremiah himself, but he speaks of a ruler in the Davidic line as anticipated, who would rule justly this righteous branch as mentioned. He will be wise, he will be just, he will be righteous, one who would govern in ways that God can approve, in ways that God can bless. So in this glorious passage of faith, there is a movement from the remnant of the people to the person of a new king. In the expression, the days are coming, there is the unfolding of a hope for the future. This hope for the future is being fully realized at a location called Calvary, Golgotha in Hebrew, and which has a definite place in the language of the church, at this very place, as St. Luke in the Gospel tells us, the King of the Jews, God's King, the righteous branch, God's anointed, is enthroned. The cross serves as the throne of imperial and eternal empire. At this very moment, something great happened through the words of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they not know what they do. In Jesus, there was no bitterness. In Jesus, there was no anger. In him, no creeping appetite for punishment upon those who were ill-treating him. This reveals the deepest truth about God. God wills not the death of a sinner, but rather that all should turn to him and repent. To that cry of Jesus, there was forgiveness for everyone, even to the thief who was crucified near him. This person had tasted the forgiveness of Jesus. With his words, remember me, this penitent thief had fellowship with Jesus. A bond was established between them. The disciples have fled. 
They were nowhere to be seen. But this man called Jesus Lord. The hopes of the disciples vanished away, whereas for the penitent thief, he sees the future kingdom and pays homage to the king. A question comes to my mind. Facing the uncertainty and the spirit of hopelessness, of uncertainty in today's world, especially after the pandemic, COVID-19. Are we ready to be the penitent thief or would we behave like the disciples who fled and in whom there seemed to be no hope? This is indeed a challenging question because we can be distracted at times by other preoccupations that may gain our attention and that may lead us to ignore the will of God. How then can we meet these challenges that may emerge in the course of our walk with God? St. Paul, in the letter to the Colossians read to us earlier, reminds us of what he longs as he offers a prayer on behalf of the Colossians. This prayer calls for a change of heart so that we be filled with the knowledge of God's will and be accustomed to it with honesty. Living under the righteous rule of Christ demands on our part a loyal allegiance to him so that we set our priorities right. If we look around us in this world we live, it seems that we are losing the sense of priorities. We are just being distracted by many things and we, are, we don't seem to be focused. But here in this prayer of St. Paul to the Colossians, it expresses the longing that the way of life of believers be tuned in to their knowledge of God, leading to wisdom and spiritual insight. As I was talking to some people here the other day and looking at the school that you have here at St. George's, I could feel, I could sense that there was a sense of priority so that this school could be an instrument of the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ and bring about the transformation of the society we belong to. And St. Paul says in this first chapter to the Colossians, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. How are we to achieve this? By living consistently with this insight and by constantly seeking to please the Lord. With this frame of mind, we shall certainly be empowered, be steadfast in faith, be patient, and be filled with joy and gratitude. Paul's prayer also shows that he expects there to be a connection between possessing the knowledge of God and the practical outworking of it in how we behave. The language used by Paul brings to mind the Jewish alaka, which means walking 
the talk. Bringing this knowledge of God in all the aspects of our lives. As written to the Colossians, this passage, dear friends, calls us to demonstrate an inward and an outward integrity. This is the Christian way of life. Living an inward and an outward integrity. This disposition of heart will firstly lead us to live under the sovereignty of Christ and secondly to be grateful to God. I never expected to be in Rome. I come from a very small island isolated in the Indian Ocean. Never thought that one day I would be working at the heart of the Roman Catholic Church serving the Anglican Communion, but here I am. Because we are called to serve what God intends for us. This disposition of heart will leave us to live under the sovereignty of Christ. So as I exercise that calling set to me, I do it under his sovereignty. And that's why I should be imbued, brothers and sisters, with gratitude so that I can be a light to the world as you are called by your baptism to be a light to the world. But it is also important at this stage to know that we cannot be imbued with a living faith and an enduring hope without being dependent upon the grace of God. Without His grace, we cannot share in the inheritance of the saints. It is only God who enables us to do so. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Paul, in his letter, also reminds us of the freedom that comes from the life-changing forgiveness of sins in Christ. This will sustain us in our quest to seek the unity and peace of the church community and of the world. This is a mission that we all now have as the redeemed people of God. Are we not all longing for peace? Are we not all longing for unity? Whether it will be in our family unit, whether it will be in our church community, whether it will be in the location where we live, in our workplace, we are all longing for peace and unity. And as the redeemed people of God, this is the task that we are called to accomplish. We are now, through God's grace, empowered to unlock our potentials to forgive, our potentials to open our hearts, to welcome and understand the other. Just imagine a community living without an understanding of the other. Friends, prayer and an unfailing commitment to serve the servant king forms part of our daily lives. This way of life then becomes the source of hope to this broken and 
divided world we live in. Let them, let me then conclude with the words of prophet Isaiah, which should fill us with joy and hope as we celebrate our Lord Jesus as Christ the King. An ambassador, as always, the title of your excellency. And may I call you your excellencies this morning because you are the ambassadors of Christ to the world. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light. You shall see, your heart shall thrill and rejoice. May God bless you all. Amen.